and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditson. I am coming to you at 11.38 p.m. Eastern Time, Columbus, Ohio. We're going to talk all things Week 6 as we do every Sunday night after the slate of action wraps up. So 12 great games from today. I want to break down each and every one of them, give you some of the key fantasy football workload-related stuff, also some cool stats I've managed to dig up throughout the uh, afternoon. And then finally, uh, actually firstly, not finally, we're going to go over some of the key injuries from the day and uh, you know what impact that could have moving forward make sure you tune in to the pff fantasy football podcast throughout the week come to you every week with monday tuesday wednesday thursday and friday episodes appreciate all you listeners out there and without further ado let's get into the slate so a lot of key injuries here i mean raheem mostert is the one that happened sunday night ankle injury they gave him a chance to come back out in the second half but he pretty much went in for a play and immediately came back out was ruled out not looking good. And because of that, we saw um, it, it wasn't just McCann. It was actually Jermichael Hasty getting a lot of run as well. That was more because Jeff Wilson wasn't active because of a calf injury originally. So, you know, if Mostert remains out, I expect McKinnon to be a lead guy, but Wilson would be more of the 1B, probably more of a two guy. I mean, it was just an interesting situation. When Mostert was healthy last week, McKinnon and Wilson were actually working side by side. But when Mostert was out before, McKinnon was the lead back. So McKinnon is definitely the guy we want for Fantasyland, but uh, Wilson could potentially give us some value if he's healthy as well. Uh, Baker Mayfield with a ribs injury that he played through. Uh, you know, uh, Stefanski already came out and said he's going to start as long as he's healthy. Some wonder if it was a little bit of a quarterback controversy with Case Keenum coming in before the fourth quarter, but it was more or less the Browns kind of put up the white flag at that point. They just were not able to move the ball. Uh, Ravens running back Mark Ingram suffered an ankle injury. Ravens have a week seven bye, but some to monitor for J.K. Dobbins and also Gus Edwards. Uh, Joe Mixon had a foot injury. He came back in the second half, but I just wonder if he was still kind of limited with it. He played 20 second half snaps and Giovanni Bernard was up right there at 19 doesn't seem like something that'll keep him out for any sort of game time or anything like that but some to monitor with the practice participation if this takes Mixon from you know 80% snaps to 50% not ideal uh, Devontae Parker suffered a groin injury week 7 by though hopefully has time to get right uh, Darius Slayton suffered a foot injury we'll see how serious that is they got the Eagles next uh, Darius Slayton a little bit banged up himself otherwise you know if Sterling Shepard remains out we can keep going back to well with Slayton uh, Zach Ertz suffered a foot or ankle injury they're kind of calling it both he's going to have an MRI on Monday apparently the Miles Sanders injury is a little bit more concerning a knee that he had twisted up after a long run so he's also getting an MRI Keep an eye on those guys. Obviously, Boston Scott is going to be the guy if Sanders is out. He really dominated touches over Corey Clement uh, in this game, even though uh, earlier in the year when Sanders was out, we saw them split things up. I do think Scott is pretty clearly the guy to own. And if Ertz is out and Goddard's out, man, like I'd have to check if they still have Joshua Perkins to be that number three tight end. But at this point, I think we need to focus on the more proven pass catchers in this offense. Travis Fulgham and Greg Ward did not think I'd be saying that about the Eagles uh, here in week seven, but that's the situation uh, we're in. Uh, Tyler I first suffered a neck injury, re-aggravated during the game, uh, so he's not an option we're looking at. We're not even going to look at James O'Shaughnessy or anyone else. More of just a you know a hat tip, if you will, to a LaVisca Chenault and DJ Chark and those remaining guys. Uh, John U. Smith suffered his ankle injury. That's why Anthony Ferkser had such a big day. They do use a lot of two tight end stuff, but you know, if Smith wasn't out there as much as he normally is. Steelers up next week. You know, If we don't know if Smith's going to be out there at 100% snaps, it might be a time to look elsewhere if you have the options at the tight end position, uh, being Ferkser first and foremost. 
close, even though obviously the matchup doesn't really benefit either of them. Uh, Kareem Hunt suffered a shoulder injury earlier in the game. He played through it. Uh, kind of just something to keep an eye on. We did see them in that Cowboys game, uh, you know, use the Aaron Johnson more because Kareem Hunt was banged up. So if he goes in the next week with a questionable tag or something, uh, keep that in mind when, you know, assessing his ceiling. Also, just a few uh, non-skill position injuries, you know, even, even though we're just always a fancy football land, obviously we care about all those other uh, real-life players too. But uh, Jake Glazer reports that Titans, the Titans fear left tackle Taylor Luan suffered a torn ACL. Obviously big news for Derrick Henry and gang. Um, the Packers left tackle David Bakhtiari suffered a chest injury was hurt and did not return. If you watch that Aaron Rodgers performance, a uh, big reason why, you know, they weren't able to get anything going was that offensive line giving up way more pressure uh, than usual. He was only the second, uh, he, he was the second least pressure quarterback going into the game. Not sure if it'll still be that way once the total week six stats roll in. And then finally, Steelers linebacker Devin Bush suffered a torn ACL and was done for the season. This is big. I mean, we saw the Steelers when they lost Ryan Shazier a few years ago, really struggle for a while to uh, replace, you know, that sideline to sideline middle linebacker. And even though Devin Bush kind of struggled to be that guy early on his rookie year was really coming into his own in 2020 hopefully he has a full recovery and you know Steelers will be okay they still have talent everywhere all over that defense but uh, obviously not ideal for a unit that is kind of carrying this team at the moment so those are the injuries make sure you tune in to the episode of this podcast it'll be on Tuesday uh, I go over the Monday night games and then specifically touch on the top waiver wire targets so without further ado we will get into breaking down the 12 week six matchups from Sunday all right, Steelers beat the Browns 38-7. to Really wasn't close. We're still seeing Rossberger not have the same sort of volume and not thrown deep. He did have a lovely uh, deep ball to Chase Claypool where they picked up 36 yards down the sideline. He almost scored. Also, James Washington had a 28-yard catch where uh, he had a nice double move and got downfield. But other than that, no Steelers player had a catch longer than seven yards. So, you know, I've been talking about this in articles, but Rossberger really just isn't the same sort of gunslinger, high-average target depth guy this year. Obviously, great real-life results, and they need him to be healthy. So, I mean, it makes sense. But in fantasy land, you know, even in these home matchups where we're expecting the Steelers to be good, he's not really going to be more than an upside two, QB2 at best moving forward. On the other side of the ball, Baker may feel looking all sorts of erratic i mean it's almost rough and you know to go to frame only go 10 of 18 119 yards touchdown two picks four sacks just nothing good was happening this game and you saw odell beckham and Jarvis landry getting open at times and having opportunities but just not enough volume and it was surprising in a game that did feature nothing but negative game script for the browns like they finally had to kind of put something on baker's plate he was not able to come through i mean we've talked about on this podcast how you know baker despite the four and one start the browns had uh, posting career worst numbers and you know pff grade and most of his efficiency metrics so you know when the run game isn't able to run up 300 yards like they did on the Cowboys or at the very least control the game uh, like they have most of the season it's going to be problematic for Baker because right now he's you know a low volume quarterback that's also displaying low uh, end efficiency so until one of those things turns around uh, this passing game is going to continue to be erratic all the way around uh, looking at some of the snap counts from the backfield Steelers, James Conner continuing to lead the way. 66% snaps, 20 carries, one target. Benny Snell also involved with 23% snaps, six carries and one target. Not all that mop-up time. Conner is someone I wouldn't be against selling high on because he's healthy right now. He's putting up the RB1 production that we know he can put up when he's healthy. And if people are finally accepting this and you can ship him off for someone that we you know feel a little bit better about continuing to be uh, this sort of healthy, efficient back come November, December, I wouldn't be against it. Kind of same rationale we talked about with James Robinson a 
few weeks ago where, yes, you know, having one of these guys on your team that's going to be getting 15, 20 plus touches per week, that's valuable. But we also need to realize, you know, every week that the, the wheels stay on James Conner's wagon uh, is another week that we're, you know, more or less kind of getting lucky with it. So I would not hate, you know, if someone's willing to treat him as this top 10, top 12 back, he is one healthy. Uh, if you can get, you know, a high end wide receiver one in return that you feel a little bit better about there, you know, full season progression. I don't hate that move uh, with the Browns. Kareem Hunt, 52 percent snaps, 13 carries, three targets. Still, though, I mean, this was just more blowout induced. Again, Baker got pulled end the third quarter and this wasn't even out there uh, in the fourth uh, not, neither was Odell Beckham or Kareem Hunt so when we saw Dontro Hilliard soak up a lot of the fourth quarter action same with Dearness Johnson if we get just a regular neutral game script without Nick Chubb I expect to see Kareem Hunt in that 70 to 80 percent snap range getting 20 plus touches he's too good not to get that sort of work going to continue to treat him as a high-end RB1 and fantasy land moving forward uh, with the receivers I took an L on my Odell Beckham chopper gotta I'm gonna open up the uh, I think ownership a little more because literally there wasn't a single player that met my criteria in the 1 p.m 4 p.m slate and that's under five percent projected ownership and uh you know uh obviously can't be a top five price player at the position as well so guys like Derrick Henry you know were too expensive and even guys like Justin Jefferson and DeAndre Swift were a little bit too chalky even though again I don't think they were exactly you know popping off at anyone so we'll see I don't want to keep lashing on about my failures but uh you know obviously not a great game from OBJ two catches 25 yards Jarvis Landry only three catches 40 yards uh Austin Hooper five catches for 52 scoreless yards himself Rashard Higgins caught the only touchdown from the group look this is life in this Browns offense and we've saw we've seen better days but it's a run first unit like the Vikings the problem is Mayfield just hasn't been as efficient of a quarterback as Kirk Cousins has been in his limited chances and I know Cousins didn't have a good game today himself either but you know if you notice you know Jefferson Thielen still putting up those numbers when Cousins needs to come from behind and pass he's able to do it now okay this was the Steelers worst case matchup again better days are going to be ahead but you know these are the floors for these receivers with Mayfield under center in this run first offense so on the Steelers side of the ball Chase Claypool coming back, four catches, 74 yards on four targets. We actually saw James Washington get more of the pass game looks with seven, and he had a 68 yards and a touchdown on his own. But, you know, Claypool, they love this guy. And this is, you know, why he was a number one rec recommended waiver wire pickup this week. It wasn't just some fluky week five performance where, you know, he got touchdowns and some busting coverages. No, they've been designing stuff for him inside the 10-yard line all season. They also use him as their deep ball threat. And we saw him score not on a receiving uh, play today, but actually on a rush from inside the five yard line so they just want to get the ball in his hands he's their downfield receiver and it is a very fantasy friendly friendly role so we gotta get really used to treating claypool as a top 20 weekly receiver regardless of if deontay johnson with that back injury is back anytime soon uh juju smith schuster only caught two of four targets for six yards all year i mean this guy just doesn't look fully healthy and we see him continuously pop up on the injury report with the knee injury i do think that has the most to do with it i mean even his touchdowns this year he just didn't look like he's been moving right and for someone that really made a lot of his living in those Antonio Brown years with his ability after the catch uh, we need him to be closer to 100% I mean right now it's one of those situations where it's like AJ Green where hey maybe Juju's able you know to put it together AJ Green had a good day himself but uh you know he's not someone I'm gonna be prioritizing in the starting lineups at all I did not have him in my top 30 wide receivers this week and I do not think he will be moving forward our PFF Lily matchup stat is in regards to Odo Beckham. Uh, OBJ has fewer than 100 receiving yards in 15 consecutive games right now. He never went more than five games without hitting triple digits while with the Giants. So, you know, I was one of many clowns in the uh, 2018 offseason going into 2019, you know, talking about how great OBJ and Baker were going to be. But, you know, I'm standing here with a hat in hand 
apologizing to you, Eli Manning. I'm sure you're listening, but uh, good stuff, Eli, enabling OBJ for those years. Hopefully, Baker can get him on track soon. Uh, Titans defeated the Texans 42-36. to Maybe the best game of the entire day, just seeing Watson and Tannehill go back and forth repeatedly throughout this one. I mean, second half, Derrick Henry had a 94-yard touchdown run, and then Watson came right back with a bomb to Will Fuller, and Tannehill was trying to go again. I mean, truly, back and forth down to the wire, uh, really fun one. But first on Tannehill, I mean, this guy just keeps on balling out. I mean, the touchdowns were a mix of just overall patience uh, going through his reads, you know, like the one he got to Ferkser or third or fourth guy. And then, I mean, it's the final one to A.J. Brown to force overtime, uh, just a fade route where he put it right on the money. So at this point, I mean, Tannehill, he needs to be in the top 10 QB discussion. That's exactly what he's been. You know, I don't want to give away the PFF Lily stat, but, you know, top 10 might even be a little low considering the numbers he's put up over the past two seasons. And then uh, with Deshaun Watson, 235 yards, four touchdowns. Tannehill, by the way, at 364 yards and four touchdowns, four touchdowns. So eight passing scores in this game. Got to see also 26 rushing yards from Watson. So he's got a little bit better floor. We talked about uh, last week how uh, Watson has kind of had a career low rushing yards per game going into this one, but looking awesome. I mean, he got forced into comeback mode a little bit early with the Titans jumping up to a multi-score lead. But you know, whether it was Fuller, Darren Fells, Brandon Cooks, Watson just continuously makes plays. He's putting the ball where he needs to. Uh, you know, only two two sacks in this game he kind of gets in trouble when he's going a little bit too heavy off script but didn't see that one here. We still like, I still like to see, you know, Duke and David Johnson get a little more involved as receivers because they have that in their skill set. But I mean, when Watson's cooking with all these receivers running around, how can you blame him? He is averaging now career high marks in yards per attempt, PFF passing grade, and just a completion percentage, even though DeAndre Hopkins is not there. I mean, I think it's similar to kind of the Christian McCaffrey thing with the Panthers and Mike Davis still doing well. Obviously, any offense in the league is better with DeAndre Hopkins in it. But when the defenses don't really have the same type of person to key on and you don't have an offense forcing the ball to Hopkins the way Houston did and the way Carolina did with McCaffrey and we're talking like egregious 190 target totals for Hopkins and McCaffrey was setting running back records so when you're not doing that quite as much and it's not like those offenses were bad doing that to Hopkins but it's just not surprising uh, to an extent when you add more solid receivers in the offense even if none of them are quite as good as Hopkins uh, Watson's better to spread the ball around surprise defenses a little bit more on a play-by-play basis uh, with the backfields yeah this was all Derrick Henry's game 212 yards on the ground two scores I mean the 94 yard run was obviously amazing the way you can pull away at his size but he had some other impressive runs uh, throughout the game where just showing absurd shiftiness and kind of underrated ability to make dudes miss uh, for a man his size. Also had a 53-yard catch in overtime to help set up his own touchdown where they just put him in the wildcat on third and goal. Put the ball in your best player's hand and let him go make a play, right? And that's what uh, the Titans did with Derrick Henry. Good to see it. And also shout out Jeremy McNichols, uh, five carries, 51 yards. I mean, this Texans defense came into the game averaging, uh, they just allowed as a raw total more yards before contact than any other rush defense in the league. Continuing to go back to the well against them uh, with the running backs in fantasy land on the Texans uh, side of the ball David Johnson dominant 81% snap rate Duke was just at 24% uh, David had 19 carries 57 yards in his score got stopped at the one yard line two other drives like he got stopped in one drive and he scored but then two other entire drives uh, they end up having to find a different way to the end zone so David uh, you know I, I called him the prime kind of uh, 
sell just trade candidate to go try to get a couple weeks ago. He's been producing. He's been finding the end zone. It just hasn't been the type of explosive performances we want. You know, it's a guy that's going to be out there for 20 touches a game. He's going to get you 20 touches a game, 80% snaps, more weeks than not. Uh, the problem is it doesn't look like the RB1 ceiling is in there because Watson just hasn't really picked up the pass game involvement to these guys, and particularly with Duke Johnson shaving away some targets himself. I think we just have to accept that David Johnson is a good, not great RB option, but he'll still settle in that top, you know, 50 15, 16 backs uh, more weeks than not. So, you know, again, not the dream we were hoping for, but he's pretty much producing where he was drafted. So hardly someone that's uh, killing your fantasy team right now. With the receivers, Will Fuller week is every single week except week two, apparently. Uh, six catches, 123 yards, and a touchdown. The long one was a 53-yard play. A little bit busted coverage, but, I mean, you know what? When you're trying to deal with a guy like Fuller and that speed all the time, uh, that's going to happen. He puts a lot of pressure on every defense he comes up against. Uh, he needs to be in weekly starting lineups regardless of the matchup. Uh, Darren Fells without Jordan Akins in the fold caught six passes for 85 yards and a score. Fells is so slow, but he goes out there, and he still kind of has some good hackability anyway and Watson loves him uh, in the red zone so as long as Akins is out we can truly treat Fells as a borderline tight end one uh, Brandon Cooks caught all nine of his targets for 68 yards and a score Cobb also had a touchdown I mean look it's Will Fuller first and foremost in this offense but anyone attached to Sean Watson when they're cooking in a shootout like this is going to have value we can kind of comfortably rank Cooks as more of a boomer bust wide receiver three sneaking towards the top 30 weekly option as long as he keeps up this sort of production Titan side of things. I uh, mentioned this earlier with Jonu Smith and the injury, but yeah, Anthony Ferkser season, everybody caught eight of nine targets for 113 yards and a score. Ferkser is someone that, you know, in the DFS world, we look at a lot on these kind of primetime slates as an option, but I don't think as long as John is going to be out there, he's going to see this sort of consistent target share. Uh, this was a game where Tannehill threw the ball 41 times. We usually don't see that, but you know, it is uh, good to know that if John who does miss time, we can actually expect a legit ceiling from Ferkser in this offense. Um, Adam Humphreys had six catches for 64 yards and a score without Corey Davis in the picture but man of the hour was A.J. Brown caught five of seven targets for 56 yards and two touchdowns first one was you know just kind of an extended play got a little crosser from inside the 10 yard line the second one was that aforementioned nice fade from Fitzpat I'm excuse me from Tannehill they want to get A.J. Brown the ball when it matters I mean week one when he was out there they were throwing him a fade with the game on the line, just weren't quite able to hook up. And then obviously on that Tuesday night game against the Bills, even with him playing at less than 100%, uh, they were feeding him early and often. So still doesn't look 100%. I mean, this is a guy that, again, you know, I keep saying it shattered the PFF database in yards after catch per reception last year. Hasn't quite been that same guy uh, yet this season, but the fact he's still putting up these sort of numbers as more of a you know possession receiver than we've seen in the past uh, is a good sign for his fantasy uh, upside moving forward. You know, I've been saying AJB wide receiver one season, uh, since the offseason and we are at that point it's great to see and you know good, good thing that that knee bruise didn't come back to be too uh, shoddy for his rest of the season uh, projection alright PFF Lily stat of the matchup so mention this about Tannehill but truly guys top 5 if I think he's a top 5 quarterback right now It's I don't know what else to call him because since 2019 his PFF passing grade is 93.3 that's number 2 behind only Russell Wilson among 48 qualified quarterbacks his average of 8.9 yards per attempt is number 1 his uh, 77.9% uh, adjusted completion rate, which just takes into account kind of throwaways and stuff like that. Number nine, his QB rating, number one. And his average target depth is tied for six at 9.4 yards. He's not dinking and dunking down the field. It's not a situation where the scheme is just allowing everyone to flourish. I mean, look, having Derrick Henry, John Smith, A.J. Brown, these just monsters throw the ball to obviously helps. But, you know, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Tannehill is playing at a top five level right now. And in fantasy land, you know, okay, top five, I get it with some of the... Uh, 
issues with volume we see more weeks than not but you know just efficiency wise we need to put some respect on the artist known as Tana Thrill. Adam Gase is no longer pulling him down and it is fantastic to see the results in motion. Uh, next matchup we had the Colts defeating the Bengals 31 to 27. A game that the Bengals rushed out to a 21 nothing lead uh, kind of took away the chances for Jonathan Taylor to rack up a bunch of touches in this one but you know what credit to Phillip Rivers coming back you know a lot of people were almost calling for Jacoby Brissett set after his performance last week end up throwing for 371 yards three touchdowns and one pick could have had an even bigger game i mean he missed marcus johnson on a deep uh, potential 50 plus yard dagger touchdown but you know what the arm looked good and even if the deep balls float fluttering a little bit more than usual uh, when they are inside it seems like things go a little bit better for him at this point in his career and you know without a ton of weapons out there it was good to see Guys like Marcus Johnson and Trey Burton, in addition to Zach Pascal, uh, making some good plays. So I do think Rivers is still their best option under center over Jacoby Brissett. Even if the arm strength, you know, thing is, isn't really comparable at this point in Rivers' career, he's obviously still setting them up and, you know, the best play based on what the defense is giving him uh, more times than not. Other side of the ball, Joe Burrow, 313 yards passing, no touchdowns, did sneak one in uh, from the one-yard line, one pick. Uh, hooked up with T. Higgins for a 67-yard catch. Uh, you know, it goes in the book as a 67-yard catch. A little bit of a blown coverage, and uh, Burrow uh, just kind of lofting the ball over there. So hit him in stride. The arm strength thing, you know, it is notable where he's not exactly showing the same sort of zip as everyone else out there. But man, if he knows what coverage is coming and he's able to kind of have the time to put the ball where he wants it to go, usually it is going right there. So a uh, situation going in this game where we were really high on Burrow because the Colts uh, weren't able to, you know, put up a bunch of pressure uh, going in this matchup. I think they were 25th in pressure rate. Uh, Burrow was able to come in on that pretty well. Would have liked to see, you know, uh, some scoring in there. But when Mixon and Giovanni Bernard are taking touchdowns inside the 10-yard line, that's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes with that. Uh, with this backfield, Joe Mixon, again, suffered that uh, foot injury. So I think that influenced these snaps a little bit. But 53% snaps 18 carries three targets we saw Gio Bernard get 48% snaps eight carries and three targets the eight carries is the part that's kind of surprising normally we'd expect that to be under three so more weeks than not moving forward I think we'll see Mixon get back to his normal pace right now he leads the league in combined uh, carries and targets out of all running backs so you know people it's one of these things where we always want more and more touches for Mixon but truly he is getting about the heftiest workload we could ask for right now other side of the ball, Jordan Wilkins continued to be just out of the picture. He only had one carry uh, on the game. Jonathan Taylor, 58% snaps, 12 carries for 60 yards, and he had four targets where he was able to convert those into uh, four catches for 55 yards. So, I mean, you know, 115 total yards, wasn't able to find the end zone. Freaking Trey Burton had a wildcat snap, decided to keep it himself instead of giving it to Jonathan Taylor, and he scored and also scored a receiving touchdown. So, you know, credit to you on your Trey Burton. Credit to Trey Burton on his two touchdowns, but us uh, bitter Jonathan Taylor, Taylor fantasy managers over here would have appreciated uh, that goal line carry but it was good to see Jonathan Taylor run a little bit better I do think you know the idea that he could be a league winner down the stretch because he is right now the undisputed RB1 in this Colts offense that we're going to see better days uh, from this run game and the receiving floor he's demonstrated is way better than anything we expected uh, you know Jonathan Taylor if you can get him as a buy low candidate which I probably not I think people kind of realize what's happening and he's ex not exactly someone that's been not giving you points uh, to this point but 
if you find someone that's really frustrated, maybe give you know a boomer bust wide receiver that's been doing good for a couple weeks, and you're able to pry away Jonathan Taylor. I love that idea. Uh, with these receivers, T. Higgins, uh, game high, 125 yards, caught six of eight targets. Uh, yeah, I mean he's looking good out there, showing all the kind of chemistry with Burrow that you would hope to see from a pair of rookies. Uh, we still saw AJ Green get a team high 11 targets, eight catches for 96 yards. Tyler Boyd, five catches for 54 yards on eight targets. Nobody else had more than three targets. It's still crowded at the top with Higgins, Green, and Boyd. Boy, but nobody else is involved in that, you know, kind of top three. And we got Burrow slinging the ball around more than just about anybody these days. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a situation where we don't really know who's going to go off any given week. But, you know, each of Higgins, Boyd, and to a little bit lesser extent, Green, I'm still not quite buying this uh, resurgence just yet. But I think each of these guys can you know, be tre- treated as upside wide receiver threes more weeks than not. T.Y. Hilton experience suffered a really rough one today. A one catch for 11 yards on five targets. He did have a touchdown uh, nullified by a kind of a iffy illegal formation penalty. I think a guy just like wasn't on the line of scrimmage or something like that, but not good. It's at the point where, you know, you, we expect him to go off at some point because it's T.Y. Hilton, but, you know, when we got Marcus Johnson going for five catches, 108 yards, Zach Pascal, four catches, 54 yards, and a touchdown, and then all these tight ends and running backs stealing uh, catches and targets alike. And it's just a situation where Hilton, I mean, he wasn't in my top 30 wide receivers this week not going to be there next week I still think he is the Colts number one and at some point we're going to see this turn around but certainly not a situation this Colts passing game uh, we want to target you know credit to Rivers for putting up this 371 yard three touchdown performance but uh, you know I don't think there's going to be too many more games where we see the Colts face that sort of negative game script early on and then have a corresponding secondary like the Bengals uh, not able to stop it so uh, PFF Lily stat of the matchup so most games with 300 plus passing yards is a rookie in NFL history here we go Andrew Luck with six, Daniel Jones with five, Kylo Murray with five, and then we have Peyton Manning, Warren Moon, and Carson Wentz with four. And also, after just six weeks of action, Joe Burrow already has four games with at least 300 yards. I know a lot of this is volume induced. I know being on the same list with Daniel Murray and Carson Wentz isn't necessarily great, but either way, this is showing us, you know, kind of the thought process that why we've been ranking Joe Burrow on this podcast as a QB one since the offseason when the teams were throwing the ball around this much even if the guy isn't impressing us as you know just the best quarterback uh, we've seen or anything like that still a very 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 viable fantasy option all right next matchup here we got the Falcons beating the Vikings 40 to 23 wow Sorry, everyone. Alexander Madison did not do what we all expected him to do. Pretty much a unanimous choice across the industry as a top RB1. Just didn't really uh, show up. Didn't have a, he had one good run, 16 yards, able to hurdle a guy as he's uh, tending to do. But the true kind of surprise to me was to see Amir Abdullah so involved. And I knew he wasn't active last week, but, you know, just offseason reports and things going around about how pleased the coaching staff was with Madison as a pass blocker. Even Gary Kubiak saying this week that, you know, he doesn't even view it as a as a difference between Dalvin Cook and Madison being out there, uh, surprising to see Abdullah and Mike Boone as involved as they were uh, with these snaps. It was Madison at 46%, Abdullah at 28%, and Mike Boone at 10%. So sounds like Dalvin Cook's going to be back after their weeks, uh, week seven bye, but even if, if, he, if he's not, I'm going to go back to the well to some extent with Madison. He's still going to be a top 12, top 13 RB. But, you know, if you really, really need someone to uh, kind of sign this week and the bye weeks are killing you, I don't think Alexander Madison is quite locked atop, you know, our top uh, three, four handcuffs as we've been talking about him uh, for the whole offseason as I thought he was. So, you know, Tony Pollard, Latavius Murray, Chase Edmonds, I'm so all about these guys. But Madison, unfortunately, because we don't have that, you know, locked in three down uh, role with the targets that 
that we thought we did and that Dalvin Cook has. If Madison's not getting that, he slips down to a little bit more of a high-end RB2, borderline RB1. And because of that, he's not exactly a handcuff that I would prioritize to have all around. He's still going to be a starter if Dalvin Cook ever misses time, but it's not a situation like Latavius Murray or Tony Pollard where like, it's a true league winning asset, or at least that's what it seems like here because this Falcons defense, I mean, for Kirk Cousins and company to struggle the way they did uh, early on, Kirk, I mean, three interceptions, two of which were definitely his fault and pretty egregious, not great. And we see the talent here. I mean, Justin Jefferson, nine catches, 166 yards, two scores. Uh, Adam Thielen had another touchdown. Irv Smith was out there making plays. I mean, when there's this much talent in the passing game and Kirk Cousins, he will put the ball right where he needs to be for large portions of the game. I mean, as bad as he was out there, uh, 343 yards and three touchdowns. So he mixes the good with the bad. Uh, we'll see better days, I, th- I think, here moving forward. But man, one and five, need to see something more. And this Vikings defense, uh, we'll get the PFF Lily stat, but Vikings defense hasn't been doing them any favors. So uh, Justin Jefferson, I mean, as long as he keeps balling like this right now, PFF's number one wide receiver in yards per route run. I mean, he needs to be an every week start. Uh, obviously, he already was, but truly every week upside wide receiver two, despite this offense being more of a run first unit. And same goes with Adam Thielen. I mean, even though it is a run first attack, these guys are so locked in as the offense's top two receivers and Cousins is so fine with throwing the ball downfield that they can make the most of their smaller target or the t- smaller like raw target volume Irv Smith is someone that is so good and he's like Dallas Goddard where if either uh, Ertz or Kyle Rudolph missed time we'd be you know consistently firing these guys up as potentially top five top six options as long as Rudolph remains healthy though I just can't get behind Irv as a constant option I mean Cousins threw the ball 36 times in this game but we've seen more times than not the Vikings I mean they want to be throwing the ball 20-25 times per week when that happens Irv Smith is one of the first guys to fall down that totem pole so in situations like this week where he was 2,500 on DraftKings I mean he was a recommended play there and everything but just in terms of season long I think it's gonna be tough to expect consistent production from Irv Uh, on the Falcon side of the ball Matt Ryan 30 for 40 371 yards four touchdowns funny how getting your uh you know one of the best receivers alive back in action can uh, turn things around for you awesome day from Matt Ryan you know he had time to throw as well so Julio back, better offensive line play, nice combo. Uh, Calvin really was doing his thing as well. Hayden Hurst had a nice design, 35-yard touchdown to pretty much put the dagger uh, in the game. Even Russell Gage was getting back involved with 65 yards after some quiet weeks. So, you know... I get it. Not not exactly the toughest matchup, and we will. You know, we've seen the floor with this uh, Falcons team over the past few weeks. But uh, no Dan Quinn there. Guys seem to be you know have a little more pep in their step. And Matt Ryan was happy to uh, take advantage of the cozy matchup. And man, Julio freaking weak. Everybody eight catches for 137 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, the first touchdown was red zone where they were double teaming them, kind of pushed off. But you know, one man's push off is another man's. Uh, this beastly wide receiver you can't cover so uh whatever it was he found the end zone and another time got some yak and just a nice little stiff arm to find his way into the promised land as well so just all around awesome game from julio calvin ridley left early with a lower body injury which is concerning before he left he caught six of seven targets for 61 yards and a score showing some awesome yards after the catch ability along the way i know that was kind of a worry with him coming into this year with some of the faders out there but he was making dudes miss out there dude is truly anyone's idea of a polished alpha number one wide receiver the falcons just so happen to have two of those guys continue to fire up julio and ridley as you know borderline top five options Every single week they are available to go. Uh, Quickly with the Falcons backfield, Todd Gurley. 
commanded 57% of the offensive snaps, 20 carries, four targets. He's just not doing much with the targets. I mean, he caught three of them for 20 yards today, but you know, most of that came on a 14-yard chunk. We're still seeing Edo Smith and Brian Hill get pretty involved in the passing game out of this backfield. Uh, didn't see the same sort of efficiency from Gurley on the ground we saw in past weeks. Just 47 scoreless yards on those carries. Like we've been saying with uh, Mixon and some of these, you know, guys that disappoint week to week, uh, and David Johnson too. I get it. You know, if you can sell Gurley for someone better, that's great. But again, it's probably not the sexiest guy you can float out there in trade talks. And at the end of the day, you know, there's worse guys to be starting in your lineup uh, than someone that's, you know, looking at 20 touches more games than not. All right, guys, PFF Lily stat of the matchup. So Mike Zimmer in this offseason before going into the year, they asked him, you know, Daniil Hunter's hurt, Everson Griffin's gone, you got a whole lot of turnover, your entire cornerback cornerback room gone. And uh, they asked Mike Zimmer what's going to happen on defense. And his pretty much response was just, you know, I've never coached a uh, bad defense before. I don't plan on starting now. And you look at his past years, and he really hasn't since he joined the Vikings in 2014, coached a bad defense. But if we just look at points allowed in their first six games of the season since 2014, Zimmer got there the worst two years were in 2014 and 2018 they allowed 143 and 148 points in those first six games in 2020 they're allowing 100 they've allowed 192 points in the first six weeks so that is a full you know nearly 50 points more than the worst season before last year in 2019 they allowed just 93 points in the first six games of the season so an additional 99 points have been scored against the minnesota vikings in the first six games of 2020 compared to 2019 Madness, everybody. Also, madness is the fact that all first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least twenty dollars in their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a forty-dollar value for just twenty bucks, and you'll get the opportunity to turn that twenty bucks into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA. And Monkey Knife Fight, go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your twenty dollars or promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. All right, everyone, next matchup here. Broncos, Patriots, Drew Locke and company getting the job done. Final score, Broncos 18, Patriots 12. Here's the thing about Drew Locke. I understand there's going to be people out there hating on him. All these people that don't respect the Jeezy rapping savior that the Denver Broncos call their franchise quarterback, they're going to point to the fact that he only completed 10 of 24 passes or the two ill-advised fourth quarter interceptions or the 19.6 QBR in general, you know, not that great of a performance. Well, here's what I saw from Drew Locke. I saw someone that was gunning the ball downfield from the first snap of the game he looked like a DGAF god out there. You know, no touchdowns. Who cares? Two interceptions. This guy was entertaining in an 18 to 12 game. I have not seen someone make an 18 to 12 game this entertaining since prime 2019 Jameis Winston, everybody. This was great to see out of Drew Locke from an entertainment perspective. From a fantasy perspective, no, you're not starting Drew Locke anytime soon. Even going back to last year, he's had one usable fantasy performance. And as long as, you know, Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant, all his good receivers remain out, it's going to be tough to expect more. And he's also wasn't running the ball today either. So no, he's not a fantasy option, but Drew Locke was fun. I loved it. And he's looking like AFC West Jameis Winston, which I am a massive fan of because watching Jameis and watching Drew Locke on NFL Sundays is good for the soul. Uh, with the Broncos as well, sticking on the Denver side of the ball with Melvin Gordon out, you know, some calling it an illness, some calling it is he's you know facing suspension because of the DUI. Philip Lindsay took the lead back role, 63% snaps, 23 carries, no targets. Royce Freeman was at 38% snaps, eight carries, one target. 
you know, that'll work. 101 rushing yards with it. Uh, we would like to get some more pass game work in there. Might have just been a situation this week where with Locke only throwing the ball 24 times. That's why the backfield only have one target. Uh, yeah, I mean, Lindsey with this sort of role, we can treat him as a borderline RB2. Uh, I don't, wouldn't imagine Gordon's going to be missing significant time, but we'll see. Uh, without a Devontae Booker in, in the, you know, miss of things this year, at least it's a two-back committee with Lindsey and Freeman. Uh, the problem in years past was that Booker really made it a three-way situation. So Freeman, he's the clear number two you know maybe you can call him the pass down back either way he's not someone on the fantasy radar at the moment at receiver, Tim Patrick had four catches, 101 yards. Didn't look like Stephon Gilmore was really traveling with anyone throughout the game. He was on Patrick for certain reps, and Patrick got the best of him uh, at least once, I believe. So, you know, 41-yard catch down the sideline. Locke was not afraid to chuck the ball deep to him. He did have the most targets on the day, along with uh, Albert. Uh, I'm just calling him Albert O. This guy's last name is like 15 letters and incredibly hard. But uh, I believe uh, college teammates with Drew Locke, or they have some sort of connection before. This tight end caught two passes for 45 yards. Freaky fast. I mean, this do when they, when they drafted him we were talking about uh you know the speed they added with judy hamler and albert o out there so if no fans gonna remain out we can actually look at albert o as more of a boomer bust uh tight end too other guys i would want ahead of him you know like darren fells but this guy has the sort of speed to make the most out of a minimal target share. Uh, Jerry Judy just two catches for 32 yards and nobody else had over 10 yards receiving. So look, Patrick and Judy are going to be the top two guys in this passing game more weeks than not. Uh, it's not ideal the situation they're in with an erratic Drew Locke under center, but you know there's a lot worse guys out there to be slotting in the starting lineup than a true top two option in their passing game. And obviously this matchup against the Patriots uh, juggernaut secondary wasn't the most ideal spot. All right, now the Cam Newton conversation. This was a very weird game, and I think anyone that watched it would agree with me. Both of his interceptions were on tip passes at the line of scrimmage. I and mean, it wasn't like he forced it downfield. They were just more or less tipped at the start and kind of doomed. He took four sacks. They were not good. I have no idea how he held on to the first one, just getting blindsided, didn't fumble. Then he did fumble. And, you know, as a FU to all the haters from back in the day when he didn't dive on that potential fumble in the Super Bowl, like Cam somehow dove for, uh, in the pile with like four guys around him and was the one coming out with the ball. So the guy was out there playing his heart out. Ended up racking up 10 carries, 76 yards, and a touchdown on the ground. Helped save the fa fantasy performance, even though he only had 157 scoreless yards through the air. He also caught a pass for 16 yards uh, from Julian Edelman. So, you know, again, made some huge plays. Got him in a position where they were, they were you know, down, I think, on the Broncos' 30, 35-yard line at the end of the game, trying to find the end zone. Uh, had Nikhil Harry open when the Broncos dialed up a cover zero blitz. Wasn't quite able to hit him. So, a uh, situation where, you know, we're seeing a little bit of vibes like Lamar Jackson this year, where no Cam Newton's not, you know, hitting the outside the number throws as consistently as he's probably like, but also similar to Lamar Jackson, you know, other than one or two receivers here, it's really hard to say uh, who's been consistently creating separation and all that. I mean, there's a reason why Brady uh, ditched town as fast as he did, didn't exactly leave Cam with an overflowing uh, treasure chest of pass game options. He needs to play better through the air, but again, I mean, he's not going anywhere under center in terms of who the starting QB is going to be. And as we'll get into with this PFF Lily stat, uh, his rushing upside is truly outrageous uh, the way they're using him currently. So backfield remains a bit of a mess. James White, 55% snaps, four carries, nine targets. Rex Burkhead, 32% snaps, five carries, no targets. And Damon Harris, just 20% snaps, six carries, one target. Got kind of game scripted out of here. Look, Cam Newton's the goal line back. And when Sonny Michelle's back, he's probably going to split reps with Harris too. So either Harris or Sony, if they can have all their early down work in themselves, they're still 
still not really going to be recommended plays because of Cam seeping up the goal line usage and because of Burkhead and White uh, taking the receiving work. White catching eight passes for 65 yards. You know, I think that's a little more of a situation where it was because the Patriots were play, playing from behind for so long. But, I mean, Julian Edelman, two catches, eight yards, and just six targets. Wouldn't it be shocking if James White kind of leads this receiving game uh, the rest of the way. It's not going to be like people ex- were expecting him to kind of have a Christian McCaffrey-esque workload going in this year. Let's not get too ridiculous. But, uh, you know, James White could certainly be a nice high floor RB2 moving forward with even, you know, five, six-plus targets per game. Um, yeah, this wide receiver room, it's tough to play any of the guys right now. And the Kiwa Harry didn't even have a catch. Uh, Demir Bird was able to kind of uh, provide some value on DraftKings with three catches, 38 yards at just 3,500, but not a situation in season long. You should be starting, wanting to start any of these guys, and that includes Julian Edelman for the time being. PFF Lily stat of the matchup. I mentioned this Cam Newton rushing usage is absolutely absurd. So he is on pace this season for 175 carries, 848 yards, and 19, count them, 19 touchdowns on the ground. Just absolutely massive numbers from Cam Newton. The rushing usage remains very well designed. They were doing that throughout the game. He also busted a dope scramble on his own, but Patriots are not afraid to use Cam as a dual threat beast that he is, continuing to slot him in as a fantasy QB1. I know the throwing isn't as smooth as we see throughout the league elsewhere, but you know when Cam has a bad game like this throwing and the fact he can get those 76 yards and a touchdown, that's what separates him from the Aaron Rodgers of the world when they have a bad game. So, you know, this was a floor game, and the floor game is still pretty damn good when they're using Cam in this manner. Next game here, we got the Giants at the Washington football team. Not going to spend too much time on this one. Giants took home the win 22-19. Daniel Jones is being used as like a rushing quarterback now. That's Jason Garrett's uh, next idea for how to evolve him, I guess. Uh, completed just 12-19 passes for 112 yards. Threw his first touchdown since week one to the Darius Slayton on a nice 23-yard uh, catch and score. But look, I mean, this passing game has been a train wreck, even in matchups against the Cowboys and Washington football team over the past two weeks. Slayton is a little bit banged up. If Sterling Shepard remains out, you can go back to the well with Slayton. But otherwise, I don't think we can start anybody in this passing game. And that includes Evan Ingram, who had two catches for 30 yards. Devontae Freeman, who I've been a little bit critical of, at this point, he has this the workhorse Saquon Barkley role in the offense. Why are the Giants giving Devontae Freeman the Saquon Barkley workhorse role in their offense? I have no idea, but that's the reality we live in. 76% snap rate, 18 carries, two targets. As I've been saying here, it's hard to find uh, you know 20 touchbacks, especially once we look at the Washington side of the ball and Devontae Freeman. He's going to be in that RB2 territory purely because of volume alone. And to his he actually had a couple really nice runs uh, this game that I hadn't seen from him before. Most of his previous production seemed to be kind of fluky, broken coverage stuff. He didn't even get any uh, kind of work through the air today, but he actually did have some runs. I think I'll put together a nice little all-22 trip, uh, all-22 clip and show that he was making some plays. Other side of the ball, Kyle Allen. 280 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, feeding his running backs. As always, the two touchdowns were nice. I mean, Logan Thomas and Cam Sims, he put it in the back of the end zone and, you know, gave these guys a chance to catch it, and they did. You know, they had they were two-point conversion away from uh, actually scoring the game-winning uh, score and uh, taking home a W, but uh, also had the fumble that the Giants uh, were able to take back to the house and uh, take the lead anyway, and the first-half interception was pretty brutal trying to force the ball to Terry McLaurin. So, uh, backfield. Even more of a mess than before. J.D. McKissick, 54% snap rate. Eight carries, six targets. Antonio Gibson, 38% snap rate. 
Nine carries, five targets. Peyton Barber getting in there for four carries and a target himself. You know, we hope it's going to be when, when not if Antonio Gibson uh, takes over this true RB1 role. But for right now, they want to keep giving the ball to J.D. McKissick. McKissick isn't playing awful, but you would think devoting the amount of draft capital they did to Gibson, the flashes he's shown so far, uh, he would take over sooner rather than later. We will see. Uh, with the receivers, Terry McLaurin caught seven to 12 targets with 74 yards. Mentioned Cam Sims had a touchdown. Uh, we also saw Dontrell Inman have five catches, 45 yards. Uh, Logan Thomas, it was good to see him get that score again. We can kind of treat him as a touchdown-dependent tight end, too, particularly as long as he continues to play every snap. But really the good news here is was, was Terry McLaurin. And the amount of screens they use him on, the amount of just kind of low dot yak stuff, even though the situation isn't the best, he's playing the sort of role in this offense where we can still expect a decent floor, even though we'd obviously prefer a better QB under center. He's going to continue to be a top 20 option at the position more weeks than not. Our PFF Lily stat of the matchup. So PFF tracks big-time throws and turnover-worthy plays. So turnover-worthy plays, even if it's not an interception, if it's a defender in a chest, that's a turnover-worthy play. Big-time throw is, just as it sounds, a big-time freaking throw, everyone. So, one second. I had to clear my throat for this fantastic stat coming up here. Biggest difference in big-time throws and turnover-worthy plays. So, the best quarterbacks with way more big-time throws and turnover-worthy plays. Over the last two seasons, Russell Wilson is plus 46. Aaron Rodgers is plus 33. Tied for third, Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes at plus 19. Now, tied for last out of any quarterback to throw a pass, Kyle Allen and Daniel Jones at minus 13. So we had the two quarterbacks in one matchup that have had far more turnover-worthy plays than big-time throws over the past two seasons. You hate to see it. Quick shout-out to our sponsor. If you like fantasy football, you need to be playing on Underdog Fantasy. It's my favorite new fantasy football app. Underdog Fantasy just released an all-new format for their snake drafts. It's called Battle Royale. In Battle Royale, you draft a one-week team like you normally would, but instead of only competing against the other teams in your specific draft, you compete with teams from other drafts. This way, they pull together the prizes so they can offer big tournament-style payouts while keeping the live snake draft format. So the first Battle Royale, already up on Underdog, $5 to enter, has a $25,000 prize pool and pays out five grand to first place. Make your first deposit today and be sure to use my code PFF after you do. Let them know that I sent you. All right, everyone, next game here. Ravens defeated the Eagles 32-28, a game that they were just up a ton early, but the Eagles came clawing their way back. As someone that had the Ravens in multiple uh, money line parlays, I was very pleased to see them get that two-point conversion stop at the end. Almost a brutal beat there. So Lamar was fine. 186 yards to the air, one touchdown. Knee is not a problem. He ran for 108 yards, had a touchdown, 37-yard run up the middle. And even other than that, I mean, he just had multiple plays where he was showing that burst and looking as good as ever. But I just I just was wondering watching this game, like, what's the difference between this year's Ravens offense and last year's when just nobody could stop them? And one thing I did find that, you know, the Ravens run the pistol formation with, like, They've run it, I think, on over like 600 snaps over the past two years, and nobody else has over like 100. Like, it is truly their bread and butter, and nobody else really uses the pistol for any uh, long, long sort of stretch in the NFL. So, last year in 2019, 
looking at EPA per play, estimated points out of per play, just a good per play efficiency metric. And the pistol in 2019, they were at plus uh, 0.16 overall. This year, they're at plus 0.12 overall. So it's not that big of a difference. But if you look at the running out of it, they have dropped a full uh, tenth of a point in estimated points added per run play out of the pistol formation. So they've actually been better throwing out of the pistol this year and last year, but they are no longer just gashing defenses uh, on the run. And I think we've seen that this year, and we saw it in this game. I mean, J.K. Dobbins, nine carries, 28 yards. Gus Edwards, 14 carries, 26 yards in a score. Mark Ingram, five, five carries and 20 yards before exiting. Look, Lamar, he got going this game on the ground. But previous to that, I just don't think we've seen the same sort of just world-beating rushing game that we saw last year. Because of that, it's made the pass game harder. And, you know, I understand you pass the run. I'm not trying to sit here and say the Ravens, you know, need to run the ball more. But they need to run the ball more effectively, I think, to make uh, their pass game hum like we saw in 2019. So, again, backfield remains just a complete three-headed mess, you know, expecting Ingram to be back after their bye in all likelihood. With him limited, we saw Gus Edwards actually take the lead with 45% snaps and 14 carries. Dobbins did have the backfields, all three of their targets, and 40% snaps. Both guys would be somewhat usable without Ingram, but keep an eye on Justice Hill. It would not surprise me if they continue to go three-headed RB. Uh, just one of those annoying things that we're seeing with Baltimore uh, this year. With the wide receivers, Marquise Brown, four catches, 57 yards. Team high, six targets. Mark Andrews, just two catches, 21 yards. And to be Nick Boyle, who got the touchdown. Yeah, just a situation where we're going to see better weeks from Hollywood and from Andrews. It's still a condensed target share. Just wasn't a good game for them. Particularly disappointing with Andrews uh, considering how uh, much the Eagles have just been burnt by tight ends throughout this year. But he's still going to be a top three guy at the position uh, more weeks than not here moving forward. Other side of the ball with the Eagles. I mean, Wentz would have had a much better day if he had some help from these guys. I mean, John Hightower is wide receiver dropped like a 50-yard completion on the first drive of the game. Uh, Miles Sanders dropped a potential touchdown. Even uh, Travis Fulgham late in the fourth had a big drop on a uh, fourth like fourth and 11 potential conversion so Wentz ran for 49 more yards and a touchdown had a 40 yard rush out there I mean this guy truly is doing his thing mobility rise and we also saw some fun packages with uh, Jalen Hurts out there as well uh, even doing things they're lining up next to each other and both Wentz and Hurts kind of had their hands out uh, like they were going to be the one getting the snap so they had a double pass out there and even on the uh, really long 74 yard run Miles Sanders had uh, Hurts was the guy going in motion on the fake reverse to maybe help draw some attention away so hopefully we're not moving towards this annoying Jalen Hurts becomes Taysom Hill 2.0 situation, but you know what? It's working for Philly. And at a minimal, I think he'll at least be a cooler uh, Brad Smith-esque version of that, you know, Taysom Hill kind of uh, slasher Cordell Stewart-esque role. So uh, let's at least, you know, be on Jalen Hurts' side. He's pretty fun to watch out there. He's got some elusiveness and Let's just hope he doesn't go down that Taysom Hill uh, vulture path. Uh, with the rest of the squad, yeah, Miles Sanders with the injuries, so these snap rates are obviously influenced by that. But without Sanders, you know, playing over 50% of the offensive snaps, we did see Boston Scott go 48% uh, and Corey Clement just 8%. So this was a game that the Eagles were, you know, far behind him. But uh, Corey Clement's, you know, more of a pass down back as it is. So I do think Boston Scott would be flirting with the top 24 uh, ranking next week if Miles Sanders is ultimately ruled out. The question is, you know, is he going to be someone we expect top 12 production from in the same manner of Alexander Madison? And the answer is no. We already saw that in week one. Was well, much more of a 50-50 split. I do think it'd be more 60-40 in the favor of Scott, but... 
Again, either way, not, not a situation we can expect a ton of over, overwhelming production from. Uh, with the Eagles receivers, uh, Fulgham caught six of 10 targets with 75 yards and a score. His touchdown was like just lofted up in the double coverage between Peters and Humphrey. And somehow Travis freaking Fulgham was the last one standing uh, with the ball in his hand. So Wentz just trusts this guy. As long as Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson remain out, don't expect that to change. Even once they do get back, man, I think Djax will probably take Hightower's field stretching role, but... I really don't know if Alshon Jeffrey's corpse is going to be able to overtake Fulgham at this point. The guy is truly playing some good ball, and Wentz trusts him. Uh, elsewhere, Zach Ertz, just four catches on 10 targets, long of 11 for 33 yards, and he's now banged up. Just really a lost season from Ertz. You do wonder how much uh, that contract stuff was uh, getting in his head. Uh, also, shout out to uh, AAF Hall of Famer Greg Ward. Had a couple really great catches, uh, and they designed a nice little play for him on the two-point conversion. Uh, PFF Lily stat of the matchup. So I mentioned some of the EPA stuff with the Ravens and Pistol. Also seeing a really big uh, discretion in performance in empty sets. And, you know, one of the things about empty that made the Ravens so good, and it's easy to envision, like when they're in empty and they have five wide receivers out there, obviously they're not really in empty because Lamar Jackson is such a problem running the football. And last year they were second EPA per play at plus four plus point four six, uh, only behind the Chiefs in empty formations. This year they are 26 at minus 0.18 estimated points added per play in empty. So that is truly a difference of over 0.6 estimated points average per play. Uh, I think going com, going out coming out of the bye into week eight, we will hopefully see the Ravens get their stuff together a little bit more on some of these, you know, base just principles of their offense. Next matchup here, everybody. We got the Bears and the Panthers. Chicago took home a 23-16 to win. It wasn't really a game where they had to put their gas down, I mean foot on the gas at all particularly in terms of offense. I mean, when Khalil Mack and company are playing as well as they were, just didn't need to see too much from Nick Foles. He did throw a nice touchdown to Cole Komet early, but I mean, 198 yards on 39 pass attempts. He got A-Rob as five catches for 53 yards and nobody else had even 40 uh, receiving yards. So, you know, Darnell Mooney, he's going to be, I think, the number two pass game option more weeks than not. Jimmy Graham had eight targets, five catches, 34 yards, but just realized kind of the Bears' path to victory. They're trying to control the clock. They're going to keep giving David Montgomery 20-plus touches, and they're going to ask Nick Foles not to lose the game for them. That was more than enough to get the win uh, today. Speaking of Montgomery, 84% snaps, 19 carries, 4 targets. Had 58 rushing yards, 39 receiving yards. I mean, he looked fine enough out there. Unfortunately, I mean, just brutal stretch for the fantasy managers out there. Has a run down the one-yard line, stopped just short. Gets two tries, doesn't score on either. They said he scored on one of them, and they him down and then Nick Foles took the touchdown for himself on a QB sneak so you know annoying everyone I get it Carolina Panthers matchup this was supposed to be the boom spot for Montgomery but this usage is pretty great and you know on a week where it seems like every running back that you know had 20 plus touches didn't give us uh, the kind of big game we were hoping for other than Derrick Henry uh, you know at least we can take solace in the fact that Montgomery with those four catches for 39 yards does have a newfound floor for games where he's not going to find the end zone so not a ton from the Bears offense in this one we did see a, a surprising amount of promise I think from the Panthers despite this 16-point effort. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater was not good. It was a tough matchup, though, let's be honest. I mean, 216 yards, two picks, had a third pick that was returned for a touchdown but nullified by a penalty and took four sacks. Solid the rushing floor, though. Still coming out there for Teddy. Uh, 48 rushing yards. Um, was able to compliment Mike Davis, who had 52 yards and a touchdown, 18 carries. But, yeah, I mean, Bridgewater, you know, ultimately – 
threw the pick to end the game, wasn't able to get him in the end zone. But some of the throws he was making to DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson down the sideline, I mean, these were not easy at all. And a lot of it has been easy in this Panthers offense uh, with Joe Brady uh, skimming up some goodness throughout the year. But, you know, Robbie Anderson had a diving catch down the sideline, then a nice contested uh, kind of back shoulder fade out of the slot. DJ Moore had a great catch down the sideline, almost came down with these two one-handers but wasn't quite able to. Ultimately, DJ was the wide receiver one this day with 11 targets, Robbie only five. They combined for uh, 170 yards, though, and nine catches. It's these two at the top, and that is fine, everybody, because when it's this condensed and that target share and a good offense that I, I continue to think is ascending despite this step back, uh, we can definitely live with that in fantasy football land. Uh, Mike Davis, you know, was a disappointing game. He did get the rushing touchdown, which is two catches for three yards. You know, talked about this all week where Mike Davis really isn't quite as featured as a pass game option as McCaffrey. Uh, they're using him more as a third, fourth read, true check down option. Uh, I do think he's going to be completely out of the picture once McCaffrey is back. Uh, fully expecting McCaffrey to have that 90% role. But, you know, as we were talking about with uh, Alexander Madison not being the kind of three-down handcuff we thought he was, Mike Davis most certainly is. So, like, do not be cutting Mike Davis uh, once Christian McCaffrey is back if you can uh, find the extra bench room. PFF Lilly stat of the matchup. I mean, mentioned this before where it's not a situation where it's Robbie Anderson or DJ Moore. It's Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. Right now, Robbie is tied for fifth with Calvin Ridley at 52 targets, and DJ Moore is tied for ninth with Tyler Boyd and Keenan Allen at 47. So only a five target difference between these two guys on the year. Robbie's had a little bit more uh, kind of lower ADOT, more consistent work, which is surprising, but DJ Moore then has the higher upside with some of the more deeper targets. So Keep going back to well with not just Robbie, but both Robbie and DJ Moore. Next matchup here. Thank you for keeping along, everyone. We just have four more to get through. Always appreciate you guys staying with me. Uh, Lions beat the Jaguars 34-16. Uh, pretty boring one out here. Lions got up and were able to kind of coast and take uh, take home the win. But, you know, don't be deceived by this Matt Stafford, you know, pretty underwhelming stat line. 19 for 31. 223 yards and just one score. But, you know, DeAndre Swift and Adrian Peterson are siphoning away three uh, touchdowns inside a 10-yard line. Not hard to imagine a world where Stafford ends up converting those in a different game. So we continue to see the deep ball uh, be utilized at a higher rate. We'll get into that more specifically later. Uh, but, yeah, so the big story from this Lions offense, though, was DeAndre Swift. Had 14 carries for 116 yards, two touchdowns, also chipped in. Three catches for seven yards through the air. Problem is, everyone, this is a four-back backfield, as it's been all season. Adrian Peterson was at 39% snaps. Swift, 37%. Jamal Agnew, 23%. And Carrion Johnson, uh, 20%. He had four carries himself. AP converted his 15 carries into 40 yards in a short uh, goal line touchdown. Clearly, they're going to use their second-round pick now in their offense. Like, great. It's incredible. It took us this long to get there. And coming out of the bye, this was a little bit predictable. Uh, with that said, I mean, look, Swift... We still want like a bigger role in this. He's flex worthy with 10 to 15 touches per game, but this was still a matchup against the Jaguars. Atrocious, atrocious defense already and even banged up. And we saw with Joe Mixon and some other guys that haven't been able to get much going in other matchups, what they were able to do against the Jaguars. So I'm not going to freak out and rank Swift as a top 20 running back, particularly as long as, you know, Adrian Peterson remains the weekly favorite to lead the way in snaps and touches. But at a minimum, Swift is well ahead of carry on now. And we can work with someone that's at least getting uh, 10 touches per game, particularly if he continues to look as good as Swift. I mean, the 54 yard run was pretty much him just kind of getting through there, but saw some better runs uh, in the second half where he was actually forced to take on contact and try to break some tackles and do things of that nature. And he did start to impress. So 
I don't take anything away from the performance, but I just know that this is one of those situations where while the workload changed, I mean, it wasn't an overwhelming uh, shift in action. It's good that Swift, you know, kind of has this Antonio Gibson opportunity now where they're actually going to give him a good amount of touches per week. But like Antonio Gibson, still hardly, you know, a clear pathway to uh, that featured RB1 role. Uh, with the Jaguars, Gardner Minshew, uh, 243 yards, touchdown and a pick, uh, just 25 for 44 passing. Didn't get a lot of help out there. I mean, this dude uh, doesn't exactly have the strongest arm out there but he was really letting it fly and uh keelan cole and dj chark each had a deep one that just were not able to get down i mean dj chark especially i'm going to take a look at some of the receivers from this past week just had the largest difference in air yards versus actual receiving yards. I would not be surprised as Chark is at the top of that list. I mean, they were looking for him deep a lot, just weren't able to get on the same page. So, you know, I know this wasn't a tough matchup, but I love the I love the idea of a bounce back DJ Chark week here in week seven. And the Jaguars should uh, be able to keep the offense moving. I mean, Minshew is just able to he's able to do his thing out there against pretty much any defense. I know the ceiling uh, isn't super high, but uh, he's got that rushing floor and he was able to score. I believe his first career rushing touchdown uh, in this game so 14 yards on the ground James Robinson was able to kind of salvage the day with a reception touchdown late. Uh, that is in his uh, r- range of outcomes, which is awesome. Chris Thompson doesn't just steal all that work. Uh, as the snaps ended up, James Robinson was at 69%, 12 carries, four targets, and Chris Thompson just three targets on a 31% snap rate. So, you know, James, RB1 season and maybe more RB2 season, uh, more weeks than not just in this Jaguars offense. But still a guy, you know, that's threatening 15-plus touches with this sort of pass-down role. Uh, he's going to be in your starting lineups every single week. Uh, with these wide receivers, Keelan Cole, big game, six catches, 143 yards, had a nice 51-yarder where he was breaking some tackles. Uh, Kenny Galladay on the other side of the ball also went off for over 100, 105 yards. He had this wild 48-yard catch where he climbed the ladder. Looks 100% healthy after battling from some lower body injuries to start the year. Nobody else on Detroit managed even, you know, more than 35 receiving yards. TJ Hawkinson did get the touchdown on the goal line. Marvin Jones, unfortunately, couldn't get anything going on. No one on the Jaguars other than Cole surpassed uh, 50 yards. So I think we'll see better days to come from some of these complimentary options. But it's a good reminder that in Detroit, it's Kenny Galladay's world. We're all living in in it. In Jacksonville, it's a little bit more, uh, you know, changed up week to week. I mean, LaVisca Chenault was someone that had just been catching more and more passes every single game. Unfortunately, held just to three catches, 10 yards, and only have one carry uh, in this performance. So, we you know, when everyone's healthy in Jacksonville, it's kind of hard to figure out uh, who's going to be the target leader in a given week. It was DJ Chark with 14. Again, I think he'll be the alpha more times than not, but with Keelan and LaVisca uh, and any of the tight ends, I think it's going to be tough to expect consistent fantasy value from anyone there. Uh, PFF Lily stat of the matchup. Yeah, so Matthew Stafford, you know, I've just seen some stuff where people are still kind of talking down on his aggressiveness because of his raw numbers but you go be you go behind the scenes a little bit and his average target death by week just keeps on keeping on ever since Kenny Galladay got back. So week one, it was at just 9.3 yards. Week two, 8.8. And for reference, I mean, he had a league-high uh, double-digit ADOT in 2019. That was one of the main reasons why he was so successful as a fantasy asset. Once Kenny Galladay got back, though, we saw it go from, again, 9.3 and 8.8 up to 10.2 in week three, 13.3 in week four, and then 11.3 here in week six. So upcoming matchups against the Falcons, Colts, Vikings, Washington, football team Panthers and Texans keep going back to well with Stafford and this Lions passing game 
One more quick shout out to our sponsor before we get to these final three matchups, uh, pristineauction.com. Check out their daily auctions with $1 starting bids on over 8,000 football items up for auction. Pristine Auction guarantees authenticity on every product. Use code PFF for $10 off your first invoice. We are currently giving away a signed Amari Cooper jersey through pristineauction.com. So rate and review the podcast. And we will be sure uh, to choose a winner next week. So go get you that Amari Cooper signed jersey. All right, this last one, uh, last three matchups won't take too much time on this one. Dolphins beat down the Jets 24 to nothing. Ryan Fitzmagic revenge game went well, 191, 191 yards, three touchdowns. Looked like he was about to just have a monster game, end up throwing two picks. Seemed like he got a little a little, little overzealous out there with the way things were going early on. Uh, didn't chip in much on the rushing yards, so didn't you know give everyone the true boom performance that we were hoping for. One of these games where, again, you know he only threw 27 passes. His top three games this season – Hasn't had to throw more than 30 passes. So that's why, you know, Adam Shaheen was the leading receiver with three catches, 51 yards, and just one score. Devontae Parker was the only guy on the Dolphins with uh, more than five targets. He finished with eight targets, three catches, 35 scoreless yards. It's a situation with the Dolphins where so many guys are getting the ball and being spread out. I mean, tight end position, Shaheen had three targets. Freaking um, Durham Smythe had two targets. Mike Dusecki couldn't even catch a ball in only two targets. Preston Williams caught one of his three, I mean, two of his three targets. One of them went for a score. Even Jakeem Grant was getting there with four catches on his own. So other than Devontae Parker, there's just too many snaps and targets getting intermixed in this Miami receiving score, uh, receiving core. Even Mike Dusecki at this point, we probably need to treat as more of a, you know, boomer bust tight end two than consistent reliable option because he doesn't play tight end in his own offense he plays slot receiver and uh, even though we were seeing uh you know a situation where isaiah ford wasn't even involved i gotta even check if he was active out there but with jakeem grant being that much more involved than just among these wide receivers uh you know you'd hope the talent went out at some point but it's certainly not the early season situation where it looked like uh Jaseki was going to be you know this offensive version of eric decker if you kind of go back to what chan was doing with him and brandon marshall uh back in those jets years so in the backfield though this was really promising miles gaskin 70 percent snaps 18 carries, four targets with Jordan Howard once again inactive. Matt Breida. 29% 29% snaps, six carries, two targets, and Patrick Laird chipped in 11%. So Gaskin didn't get the goal line touches, but he is right up there now atop the league leaderboard, or pretty close to it in total uh, combined carries and targets this season. So better days ahead for Miles Gaskin. They like the guy, and he is getting legit RB1 usage. Uh, other side of the ball, Joe Flacco took a 28-yard sack. That was every bit as funny as you would think. Uh, 186 yards on 44 pass attempts, fed Jameson Crowder. 13 targets, he caught seven of them for 48 yards. Gotta love PPR. Does it represent, you know, actual real life goodness? No, but we adjust accordingly, and that's what makes Jameson Crowder a weekly wide receiver one option. Also, shout out Rashad Perryman, four catches, 62 yards. Probably could have had over 100 yards with some better quarterback play, but such is life in New York under Coach Gase. Uh, with the backfield, you know, Le'Veon Bell not being there. LaMichael Piron, 57% snaps, 7 carries, 3 targets. Of course, Frank Gore was still there with 36%, 11 carries, and 4 targets. And Ty Johnson was actually the one providing most of the juice with a nice little 34-yard run. But we've already talked entirely too much about the New York Jets offense. Let's get on to the PFF Lilly uh, stat of the matchup. So, yeah, I was mentioning uh, Gaskin's just monstrous role. So here are the top running backs this year and just combined carries and targets. We got... 
In first place, Joe Mixon. Second place, Derrick Henry. Then we got Josh Jacobs, Ronald Jones, Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley, and sitting clean. Sitting clean in seventh place is Miles Gaskin with 111 combined carries and targets through six weeks. I didn't see it coming. You didn't see it coming, but we need to adjust. And truly, as long as Jordan Howard is staying inactive, treat Gaskin as you know a borderline RB1. He has the early down, pass down, and goal line back roll in his offense. That's very rare to find. We need to exploit that. All right, second to last matchup here. Buccaneers blew out the Packers 38 to 10. Uh, this was a game where Rodgers, he goes down. He's looking great, you know, as he has all season long. Uh, finds his way into the end zone. He gives him a McCringleberry tribute from Kim Peel. You know, the old uh, double pump is fine. Triple pump will get you a uh, flag celebration. Amazing. Touchdown got overturned. And from there on, it was like, what is going on? Uh, matchup against the Buccaneers defense that, you know, did have Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean making some great plays out there didn't help but you know two picks from Rodgers including a pick six four sacks just 16 of 35 160 scoreless yards easily his worst game of the season I mean again going into this game couldn't stress enough how Rodgers was not only having a bounce back here but he was having a career best season uh, you know PFF did determine that he did face the NFL's easiest opening stretch of schedules it makes sense that there was going to be a down performance at some point but you know we should still expect a little bit better days uh, ahead for Rodgers in this passing game I think this was clearly the floor game and uh, we'll see We'll see them come back, you know, once again to some of these NFC North matchups, uh, not against the Bears uh, potentially. But it was good to see Devontae Adams back in action, looking healthy. He caught six of 10 targets for 61 scoreless yards. Nobody else finished over 35. I mean, the Aaron Jones usage continued to be annoying. He played 57% snaps, 10 carries, five targets. Jamal Williams was right there. There were 51% snaps, four carries and a target. A.J. Dillon, a little more involved than we've seen in the past with five carries and 31 targets. Might be a good idea to do a study one these days on uh, rookie RB usage post by because we did see Dylan and Swift uh, pop up so we'll need to keep that in mind throughout the rest of the season looking at you uh, J.K. Dobbins in week eight potentially so yeah again just a complete down game from the Packers I wouldn't you know put too much stock into a lot of this we did learn that uh, Aaron Rodgers is calling Robert Tanyan Bobby and uh, they asked Tanyan if he uh, is has ever been called that nickname by anyone else and he said no but, you know, Aaron Rodgers can call him whatever he wants. So that's the type of attitude we want to hear. Usually with uh, Rodgers and his receivers, it's always just been a matter of, you know, finding someone that he likes uh, personally as well as, you know, uh, chemistry-wise out there on the field. So Tanyan still is one of those guys, even though just three catches, 25 yards in this performance. I still think he's a weekly uh, tight end one. Obviously, Devontae isn't going anywhere from the top of that. And with Aaron Jones, I mean, 10 carries, 15 yards in the score. Uh, had three catches for 26 yards. We saw them try to really get him involved as a receiver. He's still going to be a weekly top 10 option at the position, although it's unfortunate they don't use him to the true uh, best extent of his abilities. Uh, Brady was really, you know, out there screaming early and defense responded for him. Uh, they got a pick six on Rodgers and then set him up for a short touchdown from like the three yard line. Uh, credit to Brady, though. He made some great throws out there along the way after that. You know, only 166 yards and two scores in 27 attempts, but it's worth mentioning. I think they said it was like 35 mile per hour wins at some point out there. And, you know, you would think that range would be you know what would kind of discourage passing but it's actually wind uh, that you know historically has been most problematic for passing offenses so Brady uh, really had some dimes to Rob Gronkowski. Gronk went out there, five catches, 78 yards, and a touchdown on a team high, eight targets. Goblin, five catches, 48 yards on seven targets. Mike Evans, just one catch, 10 yards on two targets. I mean, this is one of the things that Bruce Arians said in the offseason that was confusing about Evans where they asked him, 
you know, going from Jameis to Brady, you know, new style quarterback, probably not as much vertical downfield passing. And they asked Arians if he planned on changing Evans' role because he's, you know, mostly running vertical-minded routes. Arians said, no, we think he's best doing that. We want to continue to use our guys to the best of their abilities. That's fine, and we'll see big games from Evans, but he unfortunately has this kind of low floor as long as that's what we're going to do because this Goblin that's getting all the underneath stuff, getting all the screens, getting that easy, you know, yak uh, ability. And Goblin, hey, he's better after the catch. Like, he deserves to have that. But, you know, the way they're kind of splitting this up between the two. And then we got, you know, Tyler Johnson and the running back stealing away some targets as well. Just not exactly, you know, the type of high floor we were hoping for with Evans and Brady, uh, considering some of the early season chemistry uh, they were considering. I think Evans is probably going to be more of an upside wide receiver to Goblin borderline uh, wide receiver one when these guys are healthy uh, together. With Gronk playing better, and look, he really wasn't separated on any of these, but you know what? Him and Brady have been throwing the ball together so long, they can probably uh, do it blindfolded by this point. As long as Gronk is out there getting these sort of targets and Brady's throwing the ball as well as he was, I mean, he's going to be in that kind of high-end tight end two uh, touchdown dependent conversation so I don't think he's gonna you know be scoring every week and he had a pretty weak Gronk spike out there doing a left-handed uh, for some reason but uh, you know it was good to see that he the guy is at least not as washed as he kind of looked in the first few weeks of the season. Uh, another big game for Ronald Jones. Uh, uh, Leonard Fournette was supposed to be active in emergency only. He ended up not being active at all. We saw LaShawn McCoy back out there doing nothing, but Ronald Jones, guys, continuing to do his thing on the ground. 23 carries, 113 yards, two scores. I get it. He's not anything as a receiver, but this takes us right into our PFF Lily uh, stat of the matchup. We got to put some respect on Rojo as a rusher. Career best, 81.7 PFF rushing, rushing grade. Career high 0.2 missed force tackles per attempt. Everything's career high this year. 4.9 yards per carry. He was at 4.3 last season. 3.5 yards after contact per attempt. He was at just three last season. No fumbles all year. I get it. He does have four drops, but the man is running well. He's getting all sorts of touches and he's making the most of it. So even when Leonard Fournette comes back, you know, I assume he'll eat into this to some extent, but it does seem like we're approaching cautiously want to say we're approaching the point where we can, you know, confidently be uh, looking at Rojo as someone that's going to be getting 15 to 20 touches on a pretty uh, certain basis. So if Leonard Fournette status doesn't really change, we can legit be treating Rojo as an RB1 in this blossoming Buccaneers offense. Last matchup I want to go over. Thank you all for sticking with me here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. 49ers defeated the Rams in the Sunday night game 24-16. Uh, Jared Goff was kind of his usual self out there, I thought. I mean, he made some great throws, notably Josh Reynolds hooking up for a 40-yard touchdown where Goff kind of finally uncorked one and kind of gave his guy a contested chance downfield. Other than that, just didn't see a whole bunch of uh, big-time throws. The touchdown to Robert Woods was fantastic. I don't know how he even saw the window uh, to get it to him in the back of the end zone but missed some opportunities to Cooper Cup. Cup didn't exactly help at all with a touchdown drop and uh, they just had some miscommunication down the field. Just wasn't the best game. And you know, to see Goff actually throw the ball 38 times and you know only finish with 198 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, the problem for him this year has been volume. So for him to get the volume and then not really respond, a little bit disappointing to see. But I think we, uh, you know, if, if he's going to come out and have this better volume moving forward, then he could have some better days with the improved efficiency that he's been showing all season. Problem is that, you know, more weeks than not, they do want to run the ball. And tonight, they want to run the ball with Daryl Henderson. 
14 carries, 88 yards. I'm pulling up the snap, snaps uh, right now. They weren't up when I started this podcast, but my goodness, I mean, he is just going out there and he's taking over. And Cam, uh, excuse me, Sean McVay was talking before uh, or after last week about Cam Akers would be more involved. But, you know, as we talked about in this podcast, he's really been saying all season that, you know, as much as, you know, if one guy gets the hot hand is going to be involved, still going to be kind of a week to week approach with how they're, with how they're going to be doing things. So, you know, Henderson, guess what? He's been the best back in here more weeks than not. I believe it's uh, two, four, five, and six is the counter for uh, Daryl Henderson weeks at this point. It's still going to be a little annoying, and we still saw Malcolm Brown out there uh, getting his opportunities as well. But as long as Henderson remains the best back, I think he's going to be getting opportunities more times than not. And overall, on the on the day, Daryl Henderson had 30 snaps. Cam Akers just one snap uh, on the night. So a uh, situation where again we did have still we did saw Malcolm Brown out there stealing away uh, some snaps for himself. But I think moving forward, we can start to treat Henderson a little bit as the lead guy. I mean, okay, Malcolm Brown, I'm seeing it now 26 snaps. So still a situation where uh, Henderson's only going to come out a little bit above 50. percent But 14 carries, 88 yards. Brown only had two carries, and we also saw. Henderson, uh, you know, not really using, uh, not not used behind Cam Makers in the receiving game, at least. Unfortunately, Brown did have the four backfield targets, so. More I look at the you know touch distribution and the snaps as I'm talking this out with you guys right now, it's starting to seem a little bit flukier than I guess it seemed in real time. But uh, you know having someone like Henderson, he's got the highest floor at least right now because we've now seen Malcolm Brown take a back seat enough weeks in a row and he's not getting more than five targets in these floor games. So Henderson's the one that we can actually start. Cam Akers and Brown, we're not going to be able to. Whether or not we can treat Henderson as a consistent top 20 option, that remains to be seen. I'd be curious what McVeigh has to say about you know, not using Acres at all in this one uh, in post game, but uh, Henderson, as long as he keeps playing well, he should continue to get this role, even though if it's not as safe as we would want it to be. Uh, other side of the ball, Jimmy Garoppolo, three touchdowns all in the first half, three pretty easy ones. Uh, he got Kittle on a slant that he was able to take the distance on a cover zero. Had to put the ball, uh, you know, where it needed to be under some duress a little bit, but uh, Kittle did the rest. Debo Samuel, a little pop pass for a touchdown, also had a long 35-yarder on, I believe, the first play of the game where it looked like he was down, but showed some nice balance to stay up. And then Brandon Ayuk had a short receiving score as well. So, you know, made life easy out there for Jimmy. He looked healthier. They were showing his feet a lot in the pocket and it seemed like he was uh, doing a better job than he was last week but you know it's a Kyle Shanahan show he's going to do this uh, with his quarterback more times than not and that's why we we love George Kittle Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk in Fantasyland Knowing that Garoppolo is in this healthier state, though, we can truly start going back to Debo and to a lesser extent, Ayuk, as every week fancy options. Debo's snaps were pretty cut in his first game back, but now we've had two weeks in a row of seeing him as a full-time player. He is truly one of their best playmakers out there. They're getting rush attempts on, pre- on a pretty weekly basis. Uh, I'm fine treating Debo as you know a borderline wide receiver two here moving forward. Ayuk's going to be more of a boomer bust wide receiver three, but he's shown enough... Uh, kind of just solid ability out there to warrant a roster spot and then Kittle seven catches 109 yards and a score number two tight end fantasy football behind only Travis Kelsey uh real quick with this 49ers uh backfield Raheem Mostert 17 carries 65 yards before departing we saw Jermichael Hasty come in nine carries 37 yards McKinnon was at six for 18 so it's a mess here right now I mean not even a guarantee that McKinnon necessarily gets that featured role uh back that he had while Mostert was out the first time uh Jeff Wilson we're assuming could 
be back in the future after he was inactive this game with the calf injury. I mean, it wouldn't even be shocking if they decide to go dip in and pick someone else out. Um, so I would say if Mostert's out next week, we can treat McKinnon as a top 24 back. But, you know, like a lot of these cases, uh, going to be tough to squeeze him into that top 10. All right, everyone, that is going to do it. Thank you for sticking with me here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, Again, these are coming out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I also have plenty of articles out throughout the week. Uh, You can find everything I'm sending out on a weekly basis on my Twitter, at iHeartits. Thank you all for listening. As always, truly can't tell you enough how much I appreciate the support. Hope everyone had a fun, profitable week six, and let's go win some more money week seven. So until next time, take care, everybody.